greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Welcome to each one here. I have something I'd just like to clear to the brothers. Uh, last Sunday when I made the closing comments, I, I, it was shared with me that I might have come across that I disagreed with what Brother Joe had shared on the fact of carnal Christians. And I want you to know, brothers, I did not disagree. I do not want to disagree. Uh, that was not my heart. And uh, I just want to clear that up. It's, uh, it's one of the beauties of a body of Christ. That we can come to each other. That we can share. And that we can uh, walk through life growing. But I... I, uh, I said amen to that message, and I, I, uh, there are carnal Christians, and uh, I don't want to be one. So uh, I just wanted to endeavor to clear that up, that I was, that was not my heart in any way to disagree. I full-heartedly agree. <laughs> All right. Um, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you here this morning, we thank you so much for each brother and each sister, for each child, for each young person. Father, for the life that is yet before them as you give them breath and strength. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come, that your name would be glorified, and that your kingdom would advance here this morning. And Father, as we look into your word, as we endeavor to understand how practically you would want us to walk and talk and act one around each other, Lord, open our eyes to more depth in this aspect of Christian community and how to practically just make our lives make a difference in ourselves, to each other, and to the community around us. I just pray that you would give utterance to your word, and that your kingdom would be advanced. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are seven main ordinances that have been either in place from creation established or reestablished by Jesus, the apostles, and the early church understood these. And they're, they're, they're basic tenets that we hold dear and to our faith and to our practice. And I like if we just list those seven things off. What are they? Yes? Communion. It's a... A, a, a uh, ordinance is, a, is a, a symbol of something that has a deeper meaning. Obviously, it's something that we do, something that's tangible, but it has a symbol of something that's deeper. Communion is one. Very good. Baptism. Beautiful. That's two. Feet washing. Feet washing. Thank you. That's three. Head covering. The head covering. That's four. The holy kiss, that's, that's five. Marriage. Marriage, that's six. That Sometimes it's number one that comes to our mind. Six, and we have one more. Anointing with oil. Anointing with oil. Thank you, brothers. So we have these seven ordinances, and I, uh, I'm actually picking one of those ordinances that I'd like to talk about this morning. Somewhat of a teaching, yet I believe as we understand, I'm not sure if this enters into knowledge or how this all factors in. I was listening to the, uh, thinking about the message, listening to the uh, Sunday school discussion, and I think it all does, it all does uh, factor in to us understanding, and I would like to talk this morning about the holy kiss. Now when I said that, you had different reactions in your hearts. We had 
had a small discussion on that just this past Sunday school time a week ago. And it's been on my heart for quite a while to talk on this subject. I really appreciated, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I really appreciated what Brother Dale had said that, you know, sometimes in our life we focus on the, wrong, the, on the least important aspect of two words combination. You know, he said sometimes we're focusing on the kiss and we should be focusing on the holy. Just like we have the scriptures that that uh, I believe it was Paul that said that, that men would pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. Well, we can take that as a command, but does that mean that every time that we pray we lift up hands? It can, but it doesn't have to. But the main point is, when you do lift up hands, when you do pray, that they're holy, and that they're pure, and they're not mixed with defilement. So as I would like to look at this subject of the Holy Kiss series, we have come through a time of history that has happened before. We have come through COVID. And as you have all known, COVID has affected and upset so many even normal things in our life. And yet as we, and, and, I, and I fear that when these kind of things come to the church, come to us as Christians, that while they may, they may in some cases disrupt, are we going to lose or are we going to lay aside some of the things that have been very dear to the church from the beginning of time. Now, I'd like to just think about greetings. I, I am not an international travel, so the, traveler, so there's some here that know a whole lot more than I do. But kissing as a part of a general greet, greeting is actually not an uncommon thing outside of America. There's, there's countries, uh, French... Uh, I believe they call it the labise. Labise is that a, a term? If it's a kind of a cheek air kiss, uh, very very common. There is some discussion in some of my research that it may COVID may bring some of that to an end. It's it's it's, uh, but it's actually a very common. Almost most people would practice it multiple times, even in a day, in their normal interactions with their with their uh, fellow human beings. It, was, it goes back centuries, centuries. It, it faced some um, withdrawal through the Black Plague, um, through even the, uh, the, uh, some of the other epidemics in 1918 uh, when some of the uh, epidemics went through. It affected, it affected that, but it came back. It's a very much of a deep part of their culture. Uh, in Afghanistan, which surprised me, they actually... It is not uncommon to even kiss up to eight times in a greeting of, of someone that they meet. You know, one cheek and then the other cheek and then the other cheek and then the other cheek. And, and we say that's, 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 you know, that's there. In America, Hollywood has painted such a terrible picture on so many things. Anything that is beautiful that God has ordained, Hollywood has endeavored to destroy and to paint in a very ugly way and uh, to, to misuse. So we're here in America. How do we, how do we uh, apply these things? I'd like to propose to you some aspects. We as human beings are actually designed to have a close interaction And I believe that comes back from the basis that our God is a close God. You know, God created us as human beings to desire a close interaction. And we accept that very readily, even here in America, in the familiar or family setting. You kiss your, ch you kiss your children probably every day. You're a husband and wife who does not show affection or have a physical interactions we would say there's something wrong. There's, there, there's something wrong in that marriage. We expect and we express that kind of love one with another. God was a very personal God. If you think about how when God made human, made mankind, 
when he made the trees, he spoke them into existence. But when he made you and I, he came down. It was a hands-on project. He formed us. He formed us out of the earth. He formed us there. And then he did something that was different than all the other animals because he formed all the other animals there in Genesis. He came down, I believe, against. And he says he breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul, an eternal soul, one that would never die. So God was a very personal God. In John, in the book of John, when Jesus Christ came down to earth, he came down as the Son of God, and he did what? He took on flesh. I mean, how can you get closer to the people you're reaching? How can you get closer than to take on flesh. And Jesus' entire ministry was full of physical interaction, of closeness. I mean, he touched the lepers. He healed them. He held the children. He walked up to the bar with a dead man, and he touched the, he touched the, the, the coffin. He, his life was one of comfortableness that people were not afraid of him as a person. So our God is a very intimate, a God is a very close God. We can look in Matthew and we can understand how God cares so intensely, even about the number of hairs on your head. Your God cares about you. Our God cares about us. Now I'd like to just look at some verses, and, and I'm going to be going through some of these things rather quickly. But kiss, the kisses that were given in the scriptures... You've heard it many times. There's five references, five commands in the New Testament where, where, uh, where we're commanded to greet one another with a kiss of charity. It can be called a kiss of charity. It can be called a kiss of peace. It can be called a, a uh, uh, the, the Christian salutation. It, it, there's a lot of different names that can be attached to it. But now I'd just like to go back into Bible history and look at some of the references. We have a whole number of references where in a family and a familiar setting there was a kiss or kisses exchanged. You have in Genesis 29 you have Jacob when he met Rachel for the first time and realized who she was that she was his cousin she kissed he kissed her. You have Laban when he was parting with Jacob and his family. He kissed all of his family, his sons and his daughters. He kissed them, and he bade them farewell. You have Joseph, when he met his father, coming down to Egypt, he kissed him. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. You have Moses, when he met his father-in-law in Exodus, his father-in-law came out to the wilderness, and they met each other, and they kissed. They embraced, they kissed. You have Aaron, when he met uh, that should have been me before, but in Exodus 4, you have Aaron when he met Moses. He was a familiar brother, hadn't seen him for years. They met, they embraced, and they kissed. You have Ruth when she, in the book of Ruth, you have Naomi. When she was leaving, Ruth and, the, and uh, Orpha, there to stay in the land of Moab. What did they do? They wept together and they kissed in parting. You have in 2 Samuel 15, you have Absalom. He stole the hearts of all the men of Israel. How did he do it? He, he, he shook, he embraced them, and he kissed them. He showed attention to them, and he stole all the hearts of the men of Israel. Through that, you have in 1 Kings 19, you have Elisha. When he was called by Elijah to follow him, he said, I want to first go and kiss my father and mother, basically goodbye. So those were all aspects and situations of where, where kisses were exchanged between family members or a close relative. A long time, no-see situation. You have kissing also in the scriptures involved in worship. In 1 Kings 19, verse 18, God told Elisha, he said, I have 7,000 men who have what? Not bend the knee to Baal, nor kissed him. When they would, in, in that culture, when they would show reverence to an idol, to a statue, 
they would kiss that statue. They might kiss his hand. They might kiss his feet. A kissing on the feet was basically the highest reverence that you could give to that idol or to that statue. In Hosea 13, verse 2, uh, Jeshurun, God is calling them out on all the things that they had done wrong. And he talked about them, how that they built them their own idols after their own, their own thoughts, their own imaginations, and how that they came and they said sacrifice to them and they said kiss the calves. Just a verse quick in Job. Job, a pure man, he had a, um, in Job 30, just quickly read that. Job 30, verse 26, and he said, if Job is giving his defense, and he's talking about all the ways that he might have sinned, but he says, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <clears throat> and he says, if I beheld the sun when it shined, and the moon walking in brightness, and my heart had been secretly enticed, or my mouth had kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the Lord that is above. That was an act that they would do to show a respect or homage to a deity that they couldn't reach. They would kiss their hand and, and extend their hand. And Job says, look, I... He said, I did not look at the sun and worship the sun. I didn't look at the moon and worship the moon. I did not show any, uh, any worship or undue homage to, to those. Uh, or he says, then I'd be, I, it would be right that I was judged. In Psalm 2, verse 12, we have one that is a positive side. It says, kiss the sun, lest he be angry with thee. And, uh, and that's a, that, that, is, that is one that is a positive act of worship that, that is given. We have another also in scriptures we have a number of situations where there was a kiss of deceit. And we can think of in Genesis 21 where Jacob Isaac wanted to bless him, and he had asked for the, uh, the venison, and he said, come near and kiss me. And he wanted, for there were two things he was after, he wanted to make sure that it was Esau and not Jacob, because he said, the voice sounds like Jacob. So Jacob came near and kissed him, and he smelt the wood. He smelt that, I guess it was probably blood, meat, I don't know what all, but the, the goat, he smelt that. And he said, oh, yeah, it's, it, it is Esau. Uh, but it was, that was a kiss of deceit. You have Proverbs 7 talks about the harlot walking out in the streets. And she's kissing in a secret and a seductive and a, in a, uh, and a deceitful way. And then ultimately in the New Testament, you have the Judas Iscariot came to our Lord Jesus Christ. And gave him the kiss, the kiss that should have been of honor, of camaraderie. It should have been that, but it was a kiss of deceit. And Proverbs also warns about the kisses of, of uh, um, the wounds of an enemy are better or more to be desired than the kisses of a wounds of a friend. Of a friend. Thank you. I was getting that all twisted. Thank you. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And then we have a number of examples of kisses in the Bible where it was a kiss of reconciliation. We have in Genesis 33, we have the account of Jacob coming back. And here comes Esau. And, and, and there's unknown. I mean, Jacob had really deceived and had really pulled the wool on Esau and had really given him the bad turn. What is Esau going to do when he meets him? The scripture says that when they meet, met, they, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. That was a kiss of forgiveness. Esau there was extending forgiveness in such a way to Jacob and so that was a kiss of forgiveness and reconciliation. We have Joseph in the land of Egypt 
after he had revealed his, who he was to, the, to the, his brothers, what did he do? They fell on their necks. They wept together and he kissed them. That was also a beautiful example of how Christ extends forgiveness to us, but it was an example of reconciliation and the kiss of reconciliation and the kiss of forgiveness. And brothers, isn't that the way it should be in our lives here, in a community here, when there are misunderstandings, when there are uh, things that need to be cleared up, when there are things that need to be forgiven? Should we not be exercising those same things and, and extending the holy kiss in the Christian community. We have, in 2 Samuel, we have David, when Absalom was determined to see him, and he went to all extents, even burning down Abner's uh, wheat field, I believe, barley field. When they didn't meet, David kissed him with the kiss of reconciliation and forgiveness. And then we also have the story in Luke where the parable of the prodigal son. After he had went and after he had spent all of his father's living, as he was coming back, his father ran to him, fell on his neck, and gave him a kiss. And that was a kiss of forgiveness. That was a kiss of saying, you're still my son. You're still equal and valued to me. And I forgive you for what you've done. Amen. And then in early church history, I'll just say this one here too. Uh, Clement of Alexander gives this story of, of a beautiful example of James. On his way to be beheaded, he was walking with another brother. And as they were walking, the brother turned to him and asked for James's forgiveness on a certain issue. I don't have any idea what it was. But I'll tell you, they weren't perfect then in the early church. He asked for the forgiveness. He, they, they were both going to be beheaded. And he asked for forgiveness from James. And, and the way Clement of Alexander, or the way he gives it, after a short pause, James said, peace, peace be to you. And he gave him, and they exchanged a holy kiss. And then he went on to be beheaded. And we say, what a beautiful picture. We can take several things. One is, there was strife then. There was conflict. There was disagreements. I have no idea what it was. It might have been large and it might have been small. But there was reconciliation. And there was a oneness and a togetherness that they found there in that, in that time, and evidenced that by exchanging of the holy kiss. And then we come into the time in the New Testament with Jesus' time. There were several things that were very cultural. Uh, men, when they met men who were either higher in, I don't know what you call this, profile, or higher in class, they would, they would meet them. And the, the Lord would take the elder's beard in his hand and kiss the beard as a symbol of respect. Women would take their husband's beard to show their respect and their adoration. They would take their husband's beard and they would kiss that beard. There was a lot of things that were played out in, the, in those interactions. It was used even to seal deals as vows and promises one to another. To kiss or to do something to one's feet, was a very, very high. You think of the was Mary there when she washed Jesus' feet and, wa and, and washed it with her tears and dried it with her hair. She did not cease to kiss his feet the entire time that she was doing that. She was there, prostrate before him. And... And he said, and Jesus said to Simon in that occasion, he says, hey, when you came, when I came in, you didn't even offer me a kiss. Apparently, Simon was too high. Apparently, Simon was still too high. 
And he wasn't able to give Jesus a kiss. But Jesus said, look at this woman. She hasn't ceased doing it ever since she came. And, uh, and so... Uh, um, And then we enter into the New Testament. And I, I would like to spend the rest of the time here looking at these scriptures here in the New Testament. I'm going to do these. I'm going to read. So I gave that as a backdrop on going into the Holy Kiss. And we asked the question, what is different from the Holy Kiss to a, nor, a regular kiss? And the difference is one is holy and one is not. When we, refer to, when we were talking about the Holy Kiss, we're not talking about something that's romantic or sensual in any way. It is simply a holy exchange of a kiss in a holy and a pure manner. <clears throat> so Jesus redefined a few things. And it started even when John was born... What was the argument that when John was born, his name can't be John? Why? Because nobody else in his family was named John. So even in John the Baptist, he was starting to redefine something. And as Jesus came in he, and, and, and revealed and explained his kingdom, there was a redefinement, or I would say an addition, of the church or the Christian body in the realm of family. Jesus said, by this shall you all men know. All men know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you're going to love one another. In Mark 3, and we can, we can turn to that, but you know it well. Mark 3, when Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, and the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus, he looks around and he says, who's, who's my mother and who's my brothers? Well, that was simple to them. They knew the answer. That Well, they're standing right here. We have them right here. But Jesus was making a point. He was saying, no. He looked all around. He said, if anyone who is obeying... Now, let me, I better turn there. Mark 3. Jesus says, And whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and, my, and mother. So Jesus looked around them, and uh, that which sat with him, he said, You're my brothers. You're my, you're, you're my sisters. And there was a redefinement that I believe Jesus brought in to the kingdom of God in extending what we had largely up until this point seen as familiar interaction and family and added into the church body. <clears throat> now I would like to look at the holy kiss as, as it is a symbol, I believe, of a close community. I already recited, I already told you, shared a verse in John 13, where it says, you shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, there isn't one of us, I don't think, that'll stand up and say, well, I don't want close community. Anybody? No, we all like the idea of close community. Now, ideas come a whole lot easier than practical real life. We all love the idea of a small church. Because why? Well, you learn to know each other and you can interact. We love the idea of accountability meetings, but it's hard work to make it all happen, right? We love the idea of personal discipleship. But for personal discipleship to happen, it's hard work. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. We love the idea of having prayer meetings, of, of gathering together. We, but it's hard work when it comes to Wednesday evening and you're trying to wrap up a few things. Well, maybe it's a priority. We love the idea of helping each other out 
in our medical situations or financial situations. <clears throat> but did you ever notice that the need always comes right when, or it seems to come right when you don't really have a lot of extra money yourself? And it takes a sacrifice. It's <clears throat> we love the idea of having close work, day, of work days and helping one another. But, you know, those all involve a tremendous amount of sacrifice, a tremendous amount of giving of ourselves. But I believe that's what God is wanting. He's wanting that. He's wanting us as a body. <clears throat> we can blame all kinds of things. We can blame logistics. Well, we're kind of far apart. We can blame our busy lives. We can blame a, a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I believe God wants his people. He wants the church culture to be a close culture. The early church understood that. <clears throat> or at least they really worked at it. And it was an active pursuit in their life was to have that close community. Uh, in Acts, it talks about them sharing, every, sharing or selling pieces of land. Why? It's to provide needs. I don't believe those were precedences that have to be followed in, in that everybody was required to sell. We, we see that that wasn't because even when Ananias and Sapphira, they were told, look, when, it was, when, it, when, it, before, when you sold it and before you sold it, it was still yours. You weren't required to do that. <clears throat> but the holy kiss is an expression of a close community. <clears throat> I believe the second I have here, which involves three more, and that is the holy kiss is a kiss of equality, acceptance, and blessing. <clears throat> the holy kiss is, is a symbol of equality. The early church was commanded to use the holy kiss. You know, they had a lot of struggles. And I was going, I'm actually getting ahead of myself. I was going to read these five points here that the, the holy kiss is commanded in the New Testament. And you may turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, or no, to Romans 16, 16. <clears throat> we'll just go through them in an order. And then I'll get back to my point, because I realized that there, there's, there's, a prem, there's a groundwork here <clears throat> that I wanted to lay. In Romans 16, verse 6, oh, actually, it is in verse 16. But the entire chapter of Romans, I think over 20 times, Paul uses a word that is very similar to salute, or to greet, or to kiss, <clears throat> Someone that he's mentioning by name. He, the entire chapter here, basically, other than a couple warnings, when he gives in verse 17 about marking those who cause divisions, marking those who are not teaching and avoiding them, and not teaching the doctrine which they had learned and avoid them, other than that, he focuses on the salutations and greetings and a recognition. And in verse 16, we have... This verse here, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So he's saying, you greet one another with a holy kiss. And the church of Christ is greeting you. <clears throat> and he spends that time. There's something that's very unique about a kiss. And that is, is it invades your personal space. And I think that we all of us have certain reactions and certain maybe even knee-jerk reactions to some of this type of thing. And when I, I knew when I mentioned even this term, some of you might have been tempted to tune me out. And I'm begging that you would just follow with me through Scripture here as we go through it. Because it does invade into personal space. In fact, as one writer wrote, when you are exchanging the holy kiss, you are too close 
to see the other brother or the other sister's faults. Because the closer we are, yes, you can see them, but the closer we are focused on each other and love one to another, the less we see of their faults also. <clears throat> you may turn in your Bibles also over to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 20. I'd like to just read that verse. 1 Corinthians 16. <clears throat> Uh, verse 20, it's just a simple verse. It's at the end of a whole list of other instructions and challenges and exhortations and, and blessings. He says, and all the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. So it's just a simple command. You can turn over to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 12. It says in verse 11, actually, finally, brethren, farewell or goodbye. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with, what? A holy kiss. And all the saints salute you. <clears throat> you can turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5. We have the command again. I'll read just a few more verses here. I'll start here. In, <clears throat> uh, it, it actually, it's just a, a tremendous exhortation of how to practically work in a brotherhood one with another, how to practically help and be there for each other. See, verse 15, See that none render evil for evil to any man, but follow, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace shall sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who has called you, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read among all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And then Peter gives us a final exhortation. In this, he gives us a final exhortation in 1 Peter 5, verse 14. Um, also, a lot right in the end of a, uh, uh, a lot of exhortation, he says... The church that is at Babylon, elect, among, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so does Marcus, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of charity. Grace, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The holy kiss is a kiss of equality. Let me say that again. Equality, acceptance, and blessing. Jesus practiced this with his disciples. It was very well understood that you meet, you met, and you greeted those of your own level. When you met them and they were exchanged a kiss. But Jesus broadened that out so much further. In Matthew 5, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, which the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is to the church, he says this challenge, he says, if you salute your brethren only, if you salute your brethren only, what thank have you? Do not even the publicans so. See, what he was saying and that, that, I believe, in the New King James and in the number of, numerous other translations is interpreted greet. If you greet your brethren, Ernie, that was an exchange of a kiss and greeting. But Jesus tore down all of those walls 
And he said, no, you are equal at the foot of the cross. And Jesus redefined and broadened, I will say, the family level into the church, of, into the fam, the church family. And he did away with all of those levels, classes, Rich, poor, I mean, we can turn over into Colossians. You can turn to Colossians 3. I just want to read that so I have that, that right. Where Paul is exhorting uh, or is, is telling the Colossians in verse 9. Paul is saying, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. This is Jesus, which is renewed after the knowledge, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, in Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles had access to salvation, and the early church was commanded. Brothers, you're one family now. Brothers and sisters, you're all one family now. Greet each other with that kiss of equality. Do you not think that Simon the Zealot, a fiercely, tremendously pro-Israel man, would not have struggled to kiss a greeting with Matthew? A Roman sympathizer, a tax collector. I mean, they're both here. Do you not think that a slave owner would kind of struggle to kiss his slave? Or vice versa, a slave? I'm equal with you. I'm e in Christ, I'm equal with you. Would you not think that was a conflict that might have happened? Or a Samaritan to kiss a Jew after all the things that the Jews had put the Samaritans through? I mean, they treated the Samaritans like dirt. They were half-breeds. They were less than human. They weren't, even, they weren't even on par on the human schedule, on the human level. And now in Christ, here they are. They're one. They're the same. And a Samaritan can walk up to a Jew or vice versa, a Jew to a Samaritan, and can greet one another with a holy kiss, a kiss of equality? I mean, can we get the picture of what Christ does in the body of Christ? What, in his body. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're here as a million-dollar business owner or whether you're here as a day laborer working for whatever. You can, on Christ, in the body of Christ, you're equal. And that is the beauty of the symbol of the holy kiss. The holy kiss is also symbolic. Of acceptance. I accept you as an image bearer of God. I accept you as an image bearer. You are created in the image of God. And we struggle with this thing here in America, and it's only gotten worse. And I have realized even in my own life I need to grow in this, and that is, is do I recognize and do I see each one of you, each one person around me, as created in the image of God, as an image bearer of God. And when you come into the room or when I meet you, the command of the early church was greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't believe that means that if, you know, they went out for Sunday school and came back in, it was, a, you know, a constant greeting, but it was, a, it, was a, it, it was, it happened sometime. And it wasn't like it didn't ever happen. But when... We relate one with another. The, the, the holy kiss is a kiss of acceptance and a recognition that you are created in the image of God. 
You can't do that. I, I say you can't. It's harder to do that and to practice, practice that and not to recognize somebody. You have to, there's intent that has to happen in that. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it takes a conscious effort. I said it before, it's an invading into your personal space. It's an interaction that you're going to have of, 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 that you're going to have there. And our American culture wants to do away with that. How many times have you went to a, a restaurant or watched people at a restaurant? And there might be three or four people sitting there, and they're all on their phone. Is that community? Is that acceptance of each other? Is that interaction? Is that relationship? No, it's not. Our phones can destroy so much of that. Or you're walking down the street. I remember it used to just really bug me when I was even in Walmart. And you'd walk past these people and there was so much on their phone. I have to think about that myself. Sometimes my wife sends me shopping lists and I keep pulling my phone out and looking at the phone because, um, you know, <laughs> and, and then I think, now how does this look? But so many people are doing it. We're losing the art of relationship. We're losing the art of interaction, of recognizing and valuing our relationship one with another. And lastly, I have the holy kiss. It is a symbol of blessing. What do we usually say when we greet one another? God bless you. Peace be with you. It is, a, it is simply a symbol of of a connection of, <clears throat> that we practice one to another, but is also, at the same time, we wish a blessing <clears throat> one to another. Now we may raise some questions. What about the culture around us? What are people going to think if they walk into our church and hear all the men are kissing and all the women are kissing are we not going to give a mixed message on who we are? Well, culture has always been culture. And culture has always had sinners. And culture has always had perversions. If you take this, the church at Corinth, that church, I'm sorry, was fraught with all kinds of horrific sexual uh, misalignments. Two times in both epistles, Paul challenged the church at Corinth and said, you greet each other with holy kisses. I mean, if there was ever a church that Paul should have said, look, brethren, don't even touch each other. Look, don't touch anybody in church. I mean, get back. You've got problems that you need to get figured out before you even get close. And no, he said, you greet each other. What with a holy, holy kiss, a kiss of love, a kiss of charity, a holy kiss, a pure kiss. That, and honestly, the church of Corinth sounds like today. We live, in a, we live in a culture that is so perverted and is so destined on anything that is against Christianity and, and normal relationships. <clears throat> the early church faced the same thing. And in some of the early church writings, you can tell they faced those things. The early church was blamed for having sinned. And I'm not saying that there wasn't ever. That has been the reason that some of us have even reacted in certain situations to the simple command of the holy kiss. But the early church faced these things, but they still taught that. Clement of Alexander, again quoting, I will say, um, he, he, he stressed that you greet each other with a holy kiss, but with chaste and dry lips, with a closed mouth. You can greet on the cheek. You can greet one another in a totally non-sensual way. But it's a kiss of love. It's a kiss where you exchange. And, some, and everybody does it. You know, it's one of those things. Practically, when we get down to it, Sometimes when we start doing something, it's kind of awkward. And you know what? I've done it. I, I grew up 
being taught this. And you still make mistakes. If you're going to get that close with each other, and it doesn't matter what aspect of church life it is, if you're going to get that close to each other, there's going to be sometimes you're going to make mistakes. But the question that I'm asking is, just because we might make some mistakes and blunders, or it might be uncomfortable, is it not a command of Scripture? Is it not something that we do simply because it's commanded in Scripture? You know, we don't always understand why God commands something. But are we not asked to simply obey, simply walk in simple obedience? I think many of us practice the uh, um, greeting and, and also give one another a hug. And I think the two can go nicely well, go well together. But you know, Paul didn't tell the Corinthian church, well, greet each other with the cultural greeting. He didn't say, well, give each other a big bear hug. That's also kind of invasive in the personal space, isn't it? Uh, but he said, greet each other with a holy kiss. And I think we do well. It is a blessing. If we can simply accept, simply practice what is given to us in scriptures. Practice it after you've washed one another's feet. Practice it when you meet after a long time. Maybe a week, you know, we didn't see each other. There was no services this week. I don't think, no, there wasn't. Let's practice it, brothers and sisters. Let's practice it one with another. Um, communion, beautiful. And there's so many ordinances that God gives to us that they are a symbol. But let's not forget, even in practicing the holiness, you can be malicious. You can have a wrong heart. You can not love your brother. Let's remember, there's a heart reason that we need to be doing this. We don't, <clears throat> we don't stop baptizing, because people have baptized wrong. We don't stop having communion because some people have misused it, or because people have spoken evil of it, or people have totally misinterpreted it. We don't stop that. And so my challenge this morning is, let's simply do it in obedience. May the Lord bless you.